0: Welcome to the Educate Norfolk podcast. Thank you very much for joining us again. My name's Jonathan Rice. I'm the head teacher at Caister Infant and Junior Schools and I'm joined as always by Sarah Shiraz at St. William's Primary School in Norwich. Hello Sarah. Hi Jonathan, how are you? Well, I'm all right. A little bit, you know, a little bit brain scrambled. I can't believe that we're here and it's only the start of the second week of term feels like it's nearly easter already doesn't it
1: it does last week was i thought we'd had some long weeks through this pandemic but last week was the longest i can guarantee that
0: so this really is the first podcast of a new term and i think
1: i've already written six parent newsletters i think i have yeah, and that would have been our, every time advice to us is changed or updated, and we're trying to keep you know everyone abreast of everything. It's just an exhausting feat at the moment.
0: It has, and I'm a bit conscious that we're recording this. We probably ought to tell everybody when we're recording it. We're recording this on Monday afternoon because I'm conscious that as soon as we put it out, it will probably be out of date, won't it? There'll be a another yeah. year term. By the end I of the day.
1: Think, I think there'll be some reflections in it that will be really useful for people to understand the whole process of what we're going through as said teachers at the minute, and how information comes to us, and how we're trying to communicate with our families. And you know, that there's that understanding would be really important because one of the things we've talked a lot about is having to make really difficult decisions with very little or changing information, and that causing real upset that then's targeted at schools when actually we wouldn't have done that if we'd, you know, if we could have possibly avoided it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing I do feel quite strongly as Norfolk head teachers, we've done really well this time. I say this time in the last week is what it is, isn't it? Is um, in getting ourselves out there on the media, which we've done a lot of, not least you, Sarah. Oh,
1: been, I know. But right then it looks like you're <laughs> pushing yourself forward when actually it sort of happens. So, um you know, last Monday I've been asked to be on Radio Norfolk. And then um, I got an email from the EDP saying, would I speak to them about something? And when my phone went on Sunday night, I assumed it was the EDP, when actually it turned out to be um, the Today programme on Radio 4. So I'm afraid in my you know slightly egotistical head, that trumped the Ra- Radio Norfolk appearance. So Radio Norfolk was picked up by you, Jonathan. But then the day just went on and on. So the next thing was my phone went again, at about 20 to 9. Would I speak to Nikki Campbell on Five Live? Yeah, that'll be Okay oh, well, it won't be till after nine o'clock now. Well, I'm no Radio 5 aficionado. I didn't know that was a phone-in. So I'm then on a phone-in for half an hour, and the next guest after me is Sir Michael Wiltshire. So then it was Look East, uh, and then um, I got another phone call to say would I be live on the BBC News Channel, um, but then my slot got nicked by Nicola Sturgeon, which I found quite, you know, that was good, quite a good knockoff. But I then went on that, and, um, yeah, that was very tricky he wasn't very nice he was trying to I think uh, because I shut my school on Monday and I was justifying that even though it wasn't a planned closure day it felt like he was trying to push me to make some sort of really controversial statement or some real left-wing strike unionized thing when actually I was just doing the best that I could with the information I had to hand and none of us should have been forced into that situation at the last minute over a bank holiday weekend. But hey, that was only last Monday, it feels like about a month ago. Yeah, I was
0: going to say (laughs) about Tuesday, everything had changed, hadn't it, of course. Yeah,
1: well, and that's Mm -hmm. the other thing. I think one of the things on Twitter at the minute is people are saying, when we look back on this period, when we look back over the whole of this year and last year, what will the GCSE questions be around this period of history? And I do think that last Monday, to me, is one of the most controversial and Am I allowed to say irresponsible points in the whole thing? You know, Monday, Sunday night, go to school, it's safe. Monday morning, go to school, it's safe. Monday night, complete national lockdown. Crazy situation to have put us all in. I mean, you opened, Jonathan, didn't you, last Monday?
0: We did. And, and yes, actually, that was quite strange, really, because I think uh, Radio Norfolk were expecting to do an interview with you, weren't they, about one, why some schools weren't open. And, of course, the first thing I had to say was, please remember my schools are, because, you know, it's just suited us you know it seemed the right thing for us to do to open and I realised for you it wasn't and um so I had to just squeeze in the fact that we were open before we started because I thought my parents were going to hear my voice on the radio talking about school closure and obviously I you know I spent 10 minutes on there defending the the right of head teachers to do what to, to do what several of you out there did and and not open on that day and explained the reasons why. And I didn't want my parents to hear that and I uh, think they weren't sending their kids to school that day. But of course, all we did achieve by uh, hearing case to was just one last super spreader event, wasn't it? You know?
1: The one thing I would say though is that when they booked that interview with me, there was no chance for school being shut. So that just shows how quickly everything's changing. It went from one story to another to another within days.
0: Yeah. And then of course we, I think Penny's been all, Penny Shepherd, our friend from Queen's Hills, has been over, all over the media as well, talking about the critical worker issue and the number of children that we're um, being asked to take into schools at the moment, and, and she's got a lot of publicity with that. And I think they had the same experience you've had, Sarah. Which I think what happens there is you're on one media outlet, you sound like you're willing to um, to talk about it, and therefore every other element of that media outlet, in your case, the BBC, thinks, ah, we've got a tame head teacher here, we'd better get her on everything. And I think that had happened to Penny as well with the critical worker thing. So she was interviewed several times about that and I think still is being this Afternoon. We come on to this week's special guest because we have with us little drum roll, the man of the moment, Adam Mason, head teacher at Fakenham Junior School. Yay. Hello Adam. Hello, good afternoon. How are you doing? I say man of the moment because of course of all our various media appearances over the last few days, I think yours has probably got the most publicity and the most traction. Yeah, it's, Um. I don't, did I write it for that reason? Definitely
2: not. Um. It was a, it was a personal letter and you know I made that clear in there. Um, but did I did I hope that it would it would ripple out and have an impact? Of course I did. Because if I didn't, what's the point? Um but initially, you know, I wrote it on Thursday evening, um, and it was quite cathartic in writing at the moment. Um I'd gone you, you can imagine on Wednesday, probably like all of us, when when Mr Williamson stood up in Parliament and decided that he was going to say what he wanted to say about and send off to dead. If you're not, you know, I went through all those emotions of, from anger to shock to you know just bewilderment really, and I wrote that in there. Um, and then pretty much went on WhatsApp and and swore about him as many times as I possibly could. Uh, Got. <laughs> You know, by Thursday, I decided, no, I'm, I'm going to write this. And then I held on to it for 12 hours. Cause I think it's probably wise to hold back, think twice. And, um, and I thought, no, send
0: it out there, send it to him and put it out to different news outlets. So just for anybody who hasn't actually seen a copy of that, and I'm sure there aren't many of you who haven't seen it, Adam wrote directly to Gavin Williamson, Secretary of State for Education. But also, Adam, you pretty much copied everybody in, didn't you? Is that right? I mean, yeah, I, obviously, i copied yeah.
2: anybody in Norfolk who i would prayed in there. I think they deserve that. And um, and then and we went for a number of media outlets in the hope that somewhere it would get picked up, because I don't really believe it will probably end up on, on Gavin's table.
1: One of the things that came across to me, and that several people on Twitter commented, was that even though there was a sort of a righteous calm anger in your letter and a total frustration there was also real humanity in it too that actually you talked to him as a person and about how he was and I think in another person's hands that could have sounded quite sarcastic but actually knowing the way you write and the way you are that sounded very genuine and if anything I think it, it gave it more resonance because you weren't just doing you know politician bashing and just throwing all the insults out there you were actually explaining how you as a person felt and giving him you know the the, the credit of being a person at the other end too which I think says a lot about you Adam given how you must have been feeling when you wrote it um, there was a, yeah, a compassion and a humanity that some of us might not have had left in us by that point.
2: Yeah and I think I think the important thing is I try to always say that you know you have to be careful that if you've not stood in someone's shoes it, it's really dangerous to start criticising them and it must be you know, the last year for him must have been really, really difficult. You know, do I think he's done a good job? No, I really don't. Um, but it still must have been difficult and he's still a person. And you, all of us, Sarah, Donathan, me, all the other heads, we're used to getting, you know, criticised for two decisions we make as much as we get praise. Um, and that's frustrating when we get that because we know that any decision we make, generally, we try to make in the best interests of everybody. Um, And I try to think about the fact that he is a person, he's a dad, he's someone's husband, and whether he's made good decisions, bad decisions, he's got to live with them, and I hope, I really do truly hope that he's got the support professionally, not sure that the cabinet there is going to support him professionally as we go,
0: Got that person well. So the particular issue that you that you picked Gavin Williamson up on was the threat of using Ofsted to um, enforce the quality of remote learning in schools. That was the thing that particularly got under your fingernails of all of, I was gonna because there there were several things that might have annoyed you last week, Adam, weren't that but that was the one that annoyed you the most and that was the one that drove you to write the letter.
2: Yeah, and I think it's probably because at the same time last week you've got going on in America um, the storming of Capitol Hill, and I I know it sounds stupid to sort of put the two things together, but when you've got President Trump ordering, you know, or encouraging and inciting people to to march upon and put people at risk in America, it felt as if Gavin Williamson was doing exactly the same for parents, and that whilst he wasn't saying, mark on your schools, he was saying to me, if you're a bit upset, if you're a bit annoyed, if you don't think they're doing good, high-quality learning, then just complain to us then. But he didn't say what high-quality online learning would be, and he forgot to complain them that actually there's a full complaint procedure to go through.
0: It would be really interesting, wouldn't it, to actually have Ofsted on site saying, right, we've come to look at your remote learning because my first question would be, OK, can you show me the framework by which you're, you're inspecting us then? Because it has become inspect, not visit, hasn't it? Exactly. And can- tell, tell, me, tell me what good looks like then. How am I meant to know?
1: I also do think that the the, the naivety that all the skill set you've got in a classroom. So we've got some really strong teachers at school and it's all based on relationships, isn't it? It's all based on being present and to take that skill set and transfer it somewhere completely different. And for the family's context to be so varied, where some will be sitting at a desk with a laptop and others will be frantically trying to share a device with other people. How any of that can be put into a simple is it good enough or not? It's so much more complex. And it's just, you know, it's just insulting to imply that, it, that the reason it might not be coming across well is because we're not trying to do our very best at it.
2: I agree and, and I, I think I, I'd also pick up on what Jonathan said because we know that Ofsted don't like to inspect anything where they've not got a handbook that tells them how to do it um, and I think they would just walk in and go okay show us and probably say to most schools carry on you seem to be doing a good job
1: Can can we just pause a minute on Adam's letter there because I think the whole concept of Ofsted coming in at all is quite incredible. I don't know if you know that there were a couple of schools in Norfolk where after lockdown finished they had inspections in December and both schools tried to bash away the um, inspector being actually physically present and both were told that they had to be and the inspector then tested positive within 48 hours of his visits to those schools and as it stands today Ofsted inspections are, are due to start again in about three weeks time and I just think it, it You know, it, it is so difficult to see how that equates to what we are trying to do in school at the minute—to keep everyone physically safe. But actually, yes, we want to deliver high-quality education, but there's so much more going on than just that. They just need to back that idea away very, very soon. I would say.
0: I have to say, Sarah, <clears throat> I was absolutely astonished to read this week that instead of going back into schools because. I mean, both you and I were peripherally involved in that uh, situation with those two schools, were not we? very peripherally in my case, but, and I should have mentioned that in my big media sweep at the start, because of course uh, there was a story in the Times Educational Supplement with our chair, Jess Bilardo, um, out front and centre and quite rightly saying, this is outrageous, you know, these inspectors should not be going into schools. And certainly now we're in a lockdown, the definition of you know, only going out of your home if it's essential, well, boy, is that a definition of something that isn't 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 essential, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think so, this the situation that Adam just described where that was used as a, a sort of a goading threat, it almost felt like, there was mm-hmm. there was one story in one newspaper at the weekend that Ofsted wasn't happy with that, but they haven't come out and said that. They should, you know, if actually they don't want to be seen as the bully boys who cut, turn up to court, you know, whenever things are causing problems, actually say so. Say if you want to be a force for good, come out and say we didn't like that. We don't agree with that. But
2: well, this also comes back to the fact that it's this ongoing distrust of head teachers and the sector by the Department for Education. And they won't they won't trust that we're professionals. They won't trust that we've got the children's best interests at heart. And they think that all we want to do is close the schools it's the last thing we want to do because actually we know that school closure and remote learning is ten times better and probably a hundred times less effective than having children in the classroom so it's that side that sets and annoys me as well um, and actually I suppose in reality am I fearful of Offset coming do an inspection?
0: No. Do I
2: like you think it's needed? Definitely not.
0: That's a really good point, Adam. And I, I think the lack of engagement um, of head teachers by the DFE has been a running theme all the way through the pandemic. Well, it was it was the case beforehand as well, but it's been exposed by the pandemic, hasn't it? And the head teachers and headteacher associations have not been involved at all in any of the DFE's decision making and and, and unionised have been, unions have been demonised by them and I also just think, just thinking back to that day when Gavin Williamson made that announcement in the Commons, Sarah you're probably better equipped to to say this than I am and I might be wrong, but I I was under the impression that he stood up and made a statement that he read out and then he was asked a couple of questions by various MPs afterwards and it was in response to one of those questions that he said, you know, when an MP what if the remote learning's not good enough? He said, I'll send Ofsted in, because I think also somebody said, what about families that haven't got laptops or, or you know haven't got anywhere quiet to work? And I think at that point he said, oh, they can go into schools as well. I felt those two answers. Am I right, Sarah? I thought those two answers were off the top of his head.
1: Yeah, and, and that's also how he announced the SATs were offers in response to a question as well. But, you know, that they, well, they wasn't built in. It wasn't like that, mate, that was a big deal. He got a written speech and then the things that actually, whether they were policy before and he, he, you know, he just forgot to put them in his speech or whether he just made them up on the hoof. It, that's how it felt. And that, I'm sure you were watching him in Parliament that day as well. But the the impact that that has, you know, as a, as a head teacher, this is one of my little odd things I feature in my head is I always have this image of a, of a, a metronome. I had a, a relative that had a metronome sitting on the top of a piano and it would swing from side to side. And I always think about those of us who have quite a lot of power, who've got you know, quite a lot of things we can do. We're right at the centre in a decision, we know why we've made it and we've got all the information to hand. So it probably only sways us a little bit. If you're right at the other end of the metronome, if you've got the least power or the least understanding of the breadth of the situation, the tiniest decision we make can send people wobbling a mile, that can fling them from one side to another. And that's what he's doing to us all the time. They're making decisions and they're making them without talking to us without seeing what it's like on the ground. And the impact for us is absolutely enormous.
2: And that's why I think you now I'm trying to think back to what I wrote fully in, the, in that open letter, what I did put in about, it showed that his department was in chaos and disarray. And I think that that day and that, yeah, that speech and the answers, sum some, some, all of that up perfectly.
1: You've done something wrong, and if you had a say, let's use an example from our staff team. So, say we made a decision, and somehow it either wasn't communicated as well as we'd hoped, or something had gone wrong. We'd learn from it, and we'd learn and think, Right, how did we get it wrong? Well, we didn't ask the right people, or we didn't read the right stuff. Or when they've made big mistakes, they still haven't gone back to the profession and said, Okay, let's help us not make another one. They've just made more.
2: We can only hope that, that one day it changes. I fear, however that under the current administration that's leading our country that won't happen but there we go maybe sarah you could stand for uh, for the secretary of state at some point
1: <laughs> i did get some well, emails from around the country last week suggesting that
0: one of my uh, one of my fears for you adam was that as a result of putting your head up a parapet like this you'd be disappeared in the middle of the night you know or at least ofsted would be straight round this morning which obviously hasn't happened not quite yet, but um but someone
2: did they, they someone put a comment um underneath one of the, the Twitter retweets that went out there. Um and I thought we'll see whether Offset coming quickly because that will tell us just how independent the inspectorate really, really are.
0: Very interesting. And of course will, will you let them in the building because uh my instinct if told me they were coming with a say well sorry, Shirley we can do this online, can't we?
2: Yeah, it goes totally against my my rewritten risk assessment. Not a chance. Mm,
0: good for you. So then the other question, I suppose, is has he replied as yet? And if not, do you expect him to?
2: No, he hasn't replied. And um, If I'm honest, I, I don't really expect a reply from him. Um, I sort of hope, if I'm honest, something, something extra kicks off to do with education on where he has to be interviewed on TV and maybe one of those wonderful sort of TV reporters who can really make them squirm just says, have you got a response to the open letter you were sent and see if it has to happen in the media? Because I think that would be far better than sending me the, the probably stock replies of all the things that the DFP are doing and the sending of this and the sending of that and all the stuff that we know and that just gets out in the media every
1: five minutes. Can I just draw on one other thing Adam that you and I have talked about a bit and we've touched on it a bit in this conversation so far and that is about the sort of the humility of all of this so you know being being a leader is really tough at the moment because you know we, we can't necessarily see the way forward to lead into. We're surrounded by confusion and change and misinformation, but also set against the extremely stressful situation of living in a pandemic. And what comes across, as I've said, is that you've just come across as if you've been just really humble about that. Tell us a little bit about how you've communicated with your families, because from what you say, seeing a letter like that from you wasn't a surprise to them. Talk talk to us about how you've kept your families informed and some of the feedback you've had from them.
2: Yeah, I think it's important to say that I, I sort of Learned how to become and be a head teacher with regards our families and communities from, from Paul Stanley. Um, I was his deputy for, for five years at Tabram before I came here, and he was unbelie- an, an unbelievable head teacher in how he communicated with families, how he was open and honest, wasn't scared to say if he'd got something wrong, and just to to plea to their better nature and there was something about I saw how parents responded to that. So I started that from day one when I entered Bateman Junior School which I think shocked some of the staff that had been here a long time because my predecessor hadn't been like that and it definitely has taken a few years for some of the families to get used to it. But actually it's, it's what I do all the time. I, I I tell them, you know, I'm human, I will make mistakes. I will always say sorry if I've made a mistake, both privately and publicly. Um, but I I remind them that actually all the staff here at school are human as well and we need to be treated with the same respect that we show each and every child and each and every family. And we, after five years now, we, we're getting there and we got there really. and. I put out in my weekly email to parents on Friday just how tired, exhausted and emotional I was and how one email from one parent had made me sit in my chair and cry, but in a positive way, because they'd sent sent something beautiful in a way of saying thank you. And so I asked them whether they, if they felt they could and they were willing to, to just email their class teacher with, with a thank you. And on Friday, the teachers were inundated and they didn't know it was coming and then over the weekend it continued both to the teachers but also to me to the school from both parents and now from just the wider community and it's humbling to me and towards me but hopefully that kindness that I'm trying to push out is starting to be replicated and come back again
1: it just sounds fabulous and, and do you think from and i, I imagine that, you know, this is a yes but actually having already created that sort of environment has helped over the last nine months where actually if you hadn't already begun to build that relationship you know that we needed we need more sympathy more understanding you know collectively both ways from parents to staff and staff to parents do you think that's you know had set you in a good stead to lead your school through this pandemic
2: Oh, I'd certainly agree. I think had this pandemic hit during the first couple of years that I was a head teacher at Bankham Junior School, it would have been it would have been so much harder, if not impossible. Um it was a tough first few years here. Um and it's it's taken that time to build the relationship, build the trust, and to actually to to get Everybody to see what, what ethos it is I've been trying to put into both the school book and to live out that ethos. Um, so I am pleased that, to be honest, the pandemic hit during year five of my headship um, rather than, than year two, yes.
1: And I do have to say that we did have colleagues who started as a head teacher last Monday. I can't imagine the worst day ever to have to take an job as a head teacher. I can grief. It'd just
0: be
2: awful. Um, that first year was so hard, just in a normal year, Um, how it must be either starting last year or even worse starting in the middle of the pandemic, I don't think I'd have coped at
0: all. It's really interesting to hear you, um, Adam, talk about the relationship you've built up with your community and your families over time. So I think Sarah and I, we've reflected on this podcast a few times, haven't we, over the last few months about how it's the trust that you've built up over time the relationships that you've put in place over time that will have seen you through this situation and the schools perhaps that have struggled a bit more have been where they haven't had that investment of, of trust and relationship building over time so it's really interesting to hear what you're what you're doing there Adam and the and the response that you've had to it.
1: But also, also that traditional um, image of a head teacher as someone all-powerful a bit on a pedestal actually maybe that's why people got used to trying to knock them down because they actually put themselves in that position whereas the you know the whole relationship that adam's described of being you know committing himself to his school community but that doesn't mean he knows everything and will get it right all the time uh, and then it becomes a dialogue and a discussion and you know then actually the benefit of that is that your staff are with you your parents are with you and it's a whole community approach to to teaching children
2: yeah totally and and i think i think we get I think there's a wrong move in leadership that strength is standing up there, never saying you're wrong, never saying sorry, keep going forward, etc. There is a time and a place for a U turn. Um, and I know we've all criticised Mr. Williamson and the government for the number of U turns. And I think that's the problem, there have been too many. But there is a time and a place for one. Um, but actually, it's about how you do it, and I think the one thing we've not heard from, from Gavin Williamson at any point is, sorry I got it wrong, therefore now we're going to head in this direction. Because actually I don't think that's a u-turn, I think that's a detour, or it's something slightly different, and I think that word sorry actually is the strongest word you can use when you're leading, not the weakest
0: let's just if we may just pick that up then in the last couple of minutes here i'm going to ask you just to indulge in a bit of crystal ball gazing as to what's going to happen next as i said at the start of the podcast it's it's monday afternoon i think we're all imminently expecting a u-turn on nurseries aren't we sarah you and i have been talking about this i know you haven't got a nursery Adam.
1: I suppose for me, listening to people this morning and, um, you know, listening to people from within the local authority as well, it's just too much still going on out there. If you look at what wasn't going on during the last uh, lockdown in March, the major lockdown, you know, we, we've got parents working in whole ranges of jobs that are still being expected to go to work. And I can understand why they therefore need childcare. Um, the nursery one seems incredible to me. I write a risk assessment for my school. I'm not going to write a completely different one for our nursery because those staff over there need as much you know protection and as much lack of um mixing with too many households but it just it just feels so gray again i just think that we need a whole nother step up as a country and shut down a whole nother level of services
0: yeah i think we can expect that can't we in the next 24 or 48 hours and i think um chris witty and others are on the media quite a lot saying that, that that we can expect that i think the critical worker guidance that came out on Friday night that purported to tidy that up a little bit? Has that made much difference to you?
1: No, and and also then what was said yesterday, particularly by Matt Hancock, does not meet what was in that guidance on Friday. So the guidance on Friday basically said, stay home if you possibly can. And then he was talking about having to have one and two families, uh, two parents involved. And that wasn't what it said. And again, another level of confusion, another level of greyness, and not just the, but the word must doesn't seem to be used very often at the moment.
2: I do think that's something that we might see change in the next, possibly the next 24 hours. I, I really believe that actually they will look at this one parent, critical worker, and if they are not working and not working from home, that actually they will start to say they should not enter school at all. Um, because I think it's the only way in which we're going to take the pressure off schools, particularly like Queen's Hill and, and Penny there. So I think that's something that, that could change imminently. Mm.
1: Yeah, Penny still has over 200 children in her school today, even though at the weekend she put some more communication out trying to say, please try and do something else. But I do understand. I mean, I think the fact that kids love coming to school and really want to come is hugely positive. You know, I think that's one thing that will come out of all of this is an acknowledgement of the, the role of school, not just in pure academic terms, but in the broader social and societal terms. I just feel that at this very, very minute, we've got to do more or else this is you know, what we're doing is not enough. Um, there's, you know, something more has got to happen.
0: We've heard Chris Whitty this morning say, act as if you've got the virus, haven't we? Yeah. Well, but we have... should
1: still stay open, he also said.
0: To school, then,
2: would you? <laughs> I was going to say, if I, I, I'm a bit worried about the acts if you've got the virus, because does that mean we all have to self-isolate? Yeah. Because that's what you do. Um, and I, I think that's, again, it's, it's a mudded message. I, can, I know what he's trying to say, but in everything else, it, it doesn't help. I just want to pick up, Sarah, on something you just said about, you know, parents still sending them in. I challenged the parents this morning by giving them a call because the child came in to tell me that her mother was on holiday for the next two weeks um, but was sending her in anyway because she wants to decorate the lounge and the kitchen. Um, it's the mother that's the critical worker, not the father, and um, so I decided to ring the mother who did tell me that she's got two weeks leave from the local supermarket. So I said we'd keep the child today, but I didn't expect to see him for the next fortnight. And she agreed.
1: There have also been reports this morning of schools where children have come in having been over at sleepovers at each other's houses over the weekend and having been round houses with more than one other household. So I think you know we we we're put in the front line here, and most people are sticking to every single rule and doing everything they can. But I just think some aren't, and the guidance in some places is just not clear.
0: And that's interesting i was going to bring i'm glad you brought that up sarah because i was about to bring that up where do you stand on 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 what our role should be if we pick up that kind of intelligence because you do hear that from the children all the time those sorts of things don't you and i'm aware that that's not always accurate you know is it you no, pick up a child and then check it out with an adult and it turns out they've got they've got it the way around but what do you think our role is in that
1: i think it's really hard because you know, we, we want to have trust and honesty with our families. We don't want children coming to school telling us, you know, not telling us the truth. However, I do feel that with our staff being at school, anything that feels like that, we challenge. And we have found a few families, you know, like you say, where you're not saying you necessarily believe all of it. Um, but actually, you do want to check it out to make the point that it wouldn't be OK. I think, you know, I think everybody at the moment has got a responsibility for that. I'm not, I'm not a sort of snitch on my neighbours, but actually, you know, I'm, I'm asking my staff to be in close proximity to children and I need to make you know do everything I can to make sure that the staff are as safe as possible.
0: It would be a little bit like one of those safeguarding calls you make, you know, where you're asking a family about something that the child has said at school and could you just give us a bit more information? That might just be enough to make one or two people think twice about doing some of those things that break the rules, might it? Yeah.
1: And but I think the, the, you know the vast majority of our families are doing everything that's being asked of them. But maybe they're just not it's just not enough yet.
0: Yeah indeed, well, I think we ought to we ought to call time on ourselves there because we've been talking for quite a while, but there's been so much to talk about, hasn't there? It's, it's difficult to stop because I've still got a list of things here that have exercised us all over the last week or so and we'll no doubt continue to exercise us over the next week, but we'll have to meet up and talk again. So I think we've run out of time for now. Adam, it's been fantastic to have you with us. Thank you so much um, for joining us today, but also, Huge congratulations for your um, bravery and honesty in, in putting your head, as we've said, above the parapet and, and representing head teachers to central government in the way you did. I think uh, I think you have the, all of the profession right behind you in saying what you've said.
2: Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, been, I think I've always said, you know, um, I'm a member of of not just Norfolk, but of our national leadership. I don't see myself just as the head teacher of Fait and Julian School and therefore, you know, what I did, yes I did for me, but it's nice that actually it's resonated as well. So thank you, and it's been great to come on, thank you very much.
0: Yeah, it's been great to have you. I hope you get the reply from Gavin Williamson that your letter deserves as well. Hopefully that's in the post. Well, who knows what's going to happen next? I suppose we're about to find out, Sarah.
1: Yeah, like I say, when every now and again I just think okay this is all right let's keep doing it like this but we never get that luxury to me there's always <laughs> something else to think about something else to change
0: rather like my twice daily newsletters then we might have to uh, meet up for another podcast a little bit sooner than we normally do but <laughs> let's see what unfolds over the next few days hope all of you have a good week um out there in head teacher land and uh, thank you very much again for joining us and goodbye
1: take care